Well, how many of you have uh, ever seen or at least heard of the show, Whose Line Is It Anyway, uh, before? See, it's a, a wonderfully quirky show uh, that aired in the late 90s and the early 2000s uh, where a group of comedians participate in a series of games uh, where, as uh, Drew Carey likes to say, everything is made up and the points don't matter. If you've ever seen the show before, then you probably know how it goes. You probably know that uh, Drew Carey introduces a game and then one or more of uh, the show's comedians uh, step out onto the stage and perform in it. Uh, sometimes they're accompanied by uh, someone in the audience. Uh, sometimes they go back and forth. And sometimes uh, these very unexpected things happen. But at the end of it all, uh, Drew Carey awards some points so that at the end of the show he can declare a winner. And uh, one of that show's uh, staples was a game called Scenes from a Hat. And I, I think it typifies uh, the kind of comedy that Whose Line Is It Anyway is known for. As the name suggests, uh, Drew Carey would pull a series of scenes out of a hat, and the participants on this show would have to step into that world. And they'd have to step into the world of refreshingly honest statements that can also earn you a black eye. Or uh, the world of uh, Dr. Seuss-inspired pickup lines, or my personal favorite, uh, the world of if adults settled disputes like kids. And if you've, uh, if you've ever watched the show before, uh, then you know just how funny it can be. I think the secret ingredient is uh, that no one, not even Drew Carey, uh, knows these scenes ahead of time. And I think that's also what makes this kind of comedy improvisational comedy. The kind of comedy where if you want to be successful, you have to step into someone else's world. When I think about the reading uh, that we just heard, a reading that's all about what it looks like to share the good news of Jesus with other people in our world, what it looks like to share uh, the good news with them, I can think of no better summary than that. If you want to be successful, if you want to do what, what Jesus, what love calls us to do, then you have to step into someone else's world. Nicaea brings us uh, today's reading from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, but before we get there uh, and hop into that reading, uh, a little bit of information about uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians is probably helpful. You see, uh, like many of Paul's letters, he is writing to a group of Christians that he already knows. He, he met them on his second missionary journey in the early 50s AD, or about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And as his second missionary journey comes to a close, he returns to Jerusalem to settle a dispute with some of the other apostles. And then he heads out on his third missionary journey. And towards the end of that missionary journey in a three-year stay in the city of Ephesus uh, that he writes this letter uh, to the church in Corinth. And what you need to know about them is that this church is deeply divided. Uh, it's deeply divided on a number of issues. And Paul writes his first letter uh, to the church in Corinth uh, to take up five of these issues. And so even though it's uh, one letter, it reads a little bit more like uh, five essays on five different topics. Now, five essays with a, a final greeting at the end of it all from Paul to this church that he, he deeply loves. And today's reading is located uh, somewhere in the midst of what I would like to call the, the third essay uh, that Paul writes to the Corinthians. 
I'd started all the way back at the uh, beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and uh, it is a response to a question that has caused quite a bit of stir in the city of Corinth. Can we eat meat? Can we, can we eat food sacrificed to idols? I mean, do we, do we have the right to do so? As I mentioned, uh, the church in Corinth is deeply divided, and they are deeply divided on this particular issue. You see, the Jews say, no, no, you can't eat meat sacrificed to idols because that's a violation of, of the first commandment, something that is forbidden by God. But the Gentiles, Gentiles just don't see a problem. I mean, Idols are just objects made of, of wood and, and stone. And so whether you're eating meat sacrificed to one of those or not, it doesn't change who God is. And so Paul writes uh, this third essay uh, to clarify the matter. And he's essentially got two things that he wants to say to the church in Corinth. First, uh, he wants to answer their question. Do you have right, the right to eat meat sacrificed to an idol? Well, if that's the question that you're asking, uh, then the answer is yes. You, you absolutely have the right to eat meat sacrificed to a Gentile, because, uh, to an idol. Because as the Gentiles say, uh, idols are just these objects made out of wood and stone. And whether you're eating meat or food sacrificed to one of them or not, it doesn't change who God is. But here's the thing. And this is the second thing uh, that Paul says uh, to the church in Corinth. Our rights don't shape our actions as followers of Jesus. Love does. And so you may have the right to do so. But just because you have the right doesn't mean that you should. And so Paul, uh, he urges them to ask a slightly different question. He urges them to ask, uh, what kind of impact is this going to have on others? I mean, will it lead them astray? Will it become a stumbling block for them? Will it, will it give them the wrong impression about Jesus? And if the answer is yes, even though you have the right to do so, doesn't mean that you should. Instead, love should compel you to do something different. You know, just to drive this point home, uh, the point that love and not our rights shape our actions as followers of Jesus, Paul takes up a second example, and, and this time it's about something completely different. What about an apostle? So Paul asks him, what about an apostle? Should an apostle receive financial support for his work. Does he have the right to do so? And once again, uh, the answer is yes. Uh, an apostle absolutely has the right to receive financial support for his work. But, but our rights don't shape our actions as followers of Jesus. And, and this is why Paul is so glad that he hasn't received financial support from the Corinthians. Because he knows that even though he has the right to do so, he knows the kind of impact that it would have on them. You see, all of this uh, culminates in the passage that you just heard, where Paul seeks to, to synthesize all of this information and then answer the question, how does all of this shape the way in which we share the good news of Jesus? How does it, how does it shape the way that we share it with others? 
As I said earlier in my sermon, I I can think of no better summary uh, to that question than this. You step into someone else's world. Or, uh, or as Paul says, though I am free, you know, though, though he has the right to do anything, though, though I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. I mean, that's what love compels us to do. It, it compels us to make ourselves slaves to everyone so that, as Paul says, we might win as many as possible. And just to be clear, Paul isn't saying that we, we should take orders from those around us as if uh, we take orders from anyone other than the Lord. And Paul also isn't saying uh, that we are indebted to those around us because that's just not the case. Instead, Paul is saying that we should set aside our interests, our preferences for the sake of others so that stepping into their world, they might see They might hear, they might know the good news about Jesus. Several months ago, I was was listening to a panel discussion on race relations. I was hosted uh, by a church out in Portland, and and as a part of their uh, discussion, I got to hear the perspective of a man named Dr. Leroy Haynes. He's a pastor in the Portland area, and some 60 years ago, he was involved in the civil rights movement. I mean, he was on the ground, in the streets, marching and serving with people like Martin Luther King Jr. And and as he speaks, uh, he speaks as someone who's filled with wisdom and grace. You know, it's about uh, five minutes into this panel discussion uh, that the interviewer, uh, a pastor at the church where this discussion is being held, uh, this interviewer, he asks a really fascinating question. You see, he, uh, he observes that we are living through something that is not so different, uh, a neo-civil rights movement of sorts. Uh, but, you know, he goes on to say that while there are all sorts of similarities, what he's curious about are the differences and even more than that, what he's curious about is what, what he and his generation have to learn from someone like Dr. Leroy Haynes and his. You know, it's, uh, it's in response to these things that uh, Dr. Leroy Haynes goes on to make uh, the following observation. You see, he explains uh, that the point of departure uh, for the 1960s civil rights movement is that it was founded by Christians on the Ministry of Reconciliation. It was founded by Christians, by pastors, by ministers, by ordinary people in ordinary churches, and it was founded on the ministry of reconciliation. And so what does this mean? Well, he, he goes on to say that the, the goal, the goal was always to redeem, always to transform the soul of the other. And so he says, uh, that means that you aren't trying to destroy your opponent in the struggle for justice and righteousness. You're trying to win them over so that you can be reconciled through the grace of God. Because on the other side of this, he says, we all need to belong to the same community. God's beloved community. You know, to put it another way, what I hear him saying is that it, it wasn't about getting what we deserved. It wasn't about our, our rights, as the name suggests. It was about love 
and, and what Christian love compels us to do. You know, it's that kind of love uh, that we first experience in our relationship with Jesus. Because when Jesus interacts with us, we don't get what we deserve. I mean, what we deserve is, is condemnation. What we deserve is judgment. What we deserve is eternal separation from him. And, and yet, we don't get what we deserve because love and not rights shape Jesus' actions. You see, that's why Jesus steps into our world to meet us right where we are. That's why he humbles himself and and takes on the form of a servant, or as other translations say, a slave. And that's why he is obedient, even obedient unto death, death on a cross for, for people like you and me, because love and not rights shape our actions. And Dr. Leroy Haynes goes on to say that as Christians, we are called to go and do likewise. Now, it was uh, in a completely different uh, panel discussion on a a completely different topic uh, that in preparation for this sermon, I I got to see one picture, one example of of what this looks like uh, in the lives of people like me and you, what it looks like to step into someone else's world and to let love and not rights shape our actions. You know, the panel discussion was really a, a podcast episode uh, about caring for loved ones with Alzheimer's. And in that episode, uh, the interviewer uh, interviews a man and a woman. And they're both actors. Uh, he is married to her, and her mom has Alzheimer's. And this woman, she, uh, she reflects on just how hard it is uh, to find something to talk about with her mom. Because, you know, the, the details, the, the stories, they're, they're all mixed up. And, and, and when you try to correct her, when you, when you try to do what's right, it only makes things worse. And so she says, you know, I, I was Googling. I was, I was trying to figure out if, if there were rules for, for talking to someone who's got Alzheimer's. And, and that's when I read, you've got to step into their world. You know, this woman, she's an actor. And it's at this moment that it all clicks for her. Uh, because uh, she doesn't have to be right about what day of the week it is or, or who's the current president to talk to her mom to show her uh, just how much she loves her. You know, I uh, certainly can't comment on the science or, or the medicine uh, behind acting like this. I got to say that it certainly does challenge the way in which I share the good news of Jesus. Because, you know, there are some things that really do matter. There are some things where, where precision really matters. But then there are a whole bunch of other things, things like, eating meat sacrificed to idols, Uh, or things like uh, receiving compensation, financial compensation when you're an apostle, these essentially neutral matters. It's uh, it's so easy to let our our preferences, our interests, our sense of what's right keep us from stepping into someone else's world and doing what love calls us to do. You know, that's why, uh, why Jesus, uh, the love and grace and forgiveness is just so important for people like you and me, for people like Dr. Leroy Haynes and, and the Apostle Paul as we share the good news. 
as we step into someone else's world, as we do what love calls us to do, because, because we need that kind of love every bit as much as those around us. And yet that's exactly what we receive from Jesus. See, that's, a, that's the good news that we get to share as we step into someone else's world. That's the, the good news that we get to show. That's uh, what we get to do as we allow the love of Christ, and not our rights, to shape the way in which we act, interact with every single person. As we do that together, in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I mean, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.